Hey guys, it is Deb. I'm back with Deb Doesn't Know Anything. Thanks for joining us. And today we have a really interesting topic. I uh, have the great opportunity to sit here with Juan Castro from the Castro Law Firm, and he is an immigration attorney. And it's not a coincidence that I chose to speak with Juan because the story I just uh, posted about has to do with um, illegal immigration and what have you. So it seems to be a hot topic that everyone is an expert in their mind's eye about, which even I thought I knew something about it, but I really don't. And so um, welcome, Juan, and thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks, Deb. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Uh, I know we've uh, known each other for some time, and uh, but uh, this topic of immigration, it, it uh, sure is a hot topic. And, uh, you know, I think I see it on the news on a daily basis and on social media platforms. Everyone has an opinion about it. <laughs> for <laughs> and sure. A, and a pretty strong opinion one way or another. So, But, yeah, you know, I'm here to, to talk about it, maybe clear up some uh, questions or um uh, inconsistencies that may be out there. So, okay. Here's, a, in, in real basic layman's terms, let's start with this. Illegal immigration. My, the, my, my idea is just, you came in, uh, you might you might have come in illegal, you swam a river, you came in the trunk of a car, you came in the box of an 18-wheeler, that's illegal, you stayed here, whatever, then you're just, you're just here without permission and you, and you don't have an identity and you just... Uh, you know, work and live and you don't really pay taxes. And I don't really want to get into the whole, do they have access to Medicare and all that? Because that's just a whole other podcast. But that, that is my theory on what illegal immigration is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there is something that is, the, currently we believe is occurring, which is asylum, where the caravan, the caravan that's coming, they're coming, they're coming to you know, rape and kill us or whatever. Thousands. Yeah, they're coming in the thousands and um, they're on their way any minute. And, um, okay, I used to believe, and you just corrected me in our little conversation before, I used to think that once you touched soil, U.S. soil, your foot touched soil, um, that was it. You were allotted asylum or or the opportunity to apply for asylum. and then you kind of mentioned, well, so much has changed. So can you please distinguish, can you just talk a little bit about what is happening with the caravan? How is that different from illegal immigration? And what changes are occurring? What's happening with the caravan? What, you know, sure. what's the deal with the immigration? And what changes are occurring? And what do you recommend for people who maybe are already here? Right. And and might need help to figure it out. Sure. Well, yeah. It sounds from what you've uh, just commented on. Uh, it's it, a lot of questions. Yeah, sorry. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it seems you've combined a, a couple of things, a couple of different U.S. policies, rules, laws, um, which is very common for someone right. that uh, you because know, I'm not an expert. Not That's an why I ask you. Yeah. I don't it, know anything. Exactly. So. Uh, when when we we hear about illegal immigration, it usually refers to foreign nationals from uh, you know, another country entering the U.S. without permission 
without a, a valid passport and or visa or oh, a 994. They haven't been inspected and admitted by a CBP, Customs and Border Protection officer. Uh, so the common way, you know, the, the way you hear, you see in movies, uh, you know, they, they may have uh, snuck in through the river, quote, you know, the Rio Grande, uh, uh, come in through a fence, uh, through, um, uh, or even uh, uh, come in in a vehicle, but uh, hidden. Right. right. Um, so those are common ways that you hear of foreign nationals coming in illegally. Um, another way someone can find themselves with uh, unlawful presence or being here without a legal status is they may have come in with legally. permission. Right. And legally. their visa expired. Incorrect. And their visa or another type of immigration status they may have had expired or was not renewed on time. Uh, immigration is super complex. Um, there's different rules and regulations besides the laws and policies that govern uh, status, uh, when it expires, when you should renew. Uh, so I recommend anyone that is not a citizen that is here either, well, let's say illegally or as a non citizen as a legal permanent resident as an asylee to always keep in touch with their immigration attorney um, to update them on uh, the the regulations uh, they just recently a couple of years ago updated the some of the procedures the filing fees and forms necessary and so if you're not an immigration attorney you, you you're not going to be up to date right, right. Exactly. so please don't call your uncle who has a law degree <laughs> yes. in you know real estate and think that just because you know he's a lawyer that's like trying to go to a podiatrist for a heart problem. So just go to the specialist. Yes. And and so that, you know, there's different ways an individual can find themselves without legal status. Um, and you mentioned, uh, you know, someone that's here having touched dry ground. There was a policy, uh, you know, even as a, a, I believe it was a year or two ago, um, that stated that specific Cuban, Cuban nationals, right. Once they touched dry land, they had an opportunity to adjust their status and eventually become a legal permanent resident. However, that has been done away with, like I said, in the last uh, a year or so. Uh, now that it's extinct, right. uh, there is no such policy. Uh, Cubans and Haitians, they have to go through the regular um, adjustment or asylum process. And I think that's your next, that was going to be your next question is right. asylum, what it is and how, what it, how so it, that was not in. asylum. I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. Sorry. Okay. So, so mm -hmm. the, the wet dry land rule where we saw a bunch of mm -hmm. rafts coming in mm -hmm. to Miami, um, is that, a, was that considered asylum or, or political asylum or, or was that a, am I misnomer? Is that a misnomer? Yeah. It, 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 in, I guess layman's terms, it was, it was a different special policy for Cuban nationals. Okay. Fleeing, um, you know, the, um, the political state of Cuba, socialism, communism. Uh, and for a long time, I think, you know, I could be wrong, I have to check, but for the better part of, what, 30, 40 years, there was a policy that stated if, if a Cuban national was able to touch dry ground, usually in Florida, Miami, um, South Florida, then they were a lot of the opportunity to be paroled in. So they, in essence, given permission to be sure. here and a permission to adjust within a year or so uh, and could 
you know, eventually lead to legal permanent residency, which then is a pathway to citizenship. Uh, and many, many, you know, Cubans took advantage of that policy. Now, today, that policy is no longer in effect. Um, they have to, it, you know, if a Cuban national were to um, come in, they would have to, you know, apply for some type of existing um, form of relief, either through the Cuban Adjustment Act or, you know, very popular now is the just regular asylum, what, what many call political asylum, uh, or you know, relief under conventions against torture, withholding removal, that sort of thing. So is the caravan now, this caravan that's coming to get us, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, it's here, I think, right? It, it's already in Tijuana. Tijuana, yeah. Um, and, I, okay, I'm just, just for... Mm-hmm. Fun. I heard a rumor that, and this is a rumor, of course, it's what Laredo does. Mm -hmm. So I heard a rumor that the caravan was supposed to land in Texas, right? But because Texas is uber conservative and um, we were probably going to be out there ready um, and, and there would be trouble that this is the rumor part that Carlos Slim paid for buses to move them to land in California since California is a blue state. Did you hear that one? I didn't hear the part about Carlos Slim. I, I did hear the rumor of, you know, the different reasons why they chose, you know, they being this uh, large number of caravan uh, members, why they chose Tijuana instead of, let's say, you know, Laredo, uh, Matamoros, right. you know, Brownsville. The, Brownsville. And they just bypassed Texas, which would have been a more direct route. And, uh, you know, a lot of it could be the politics uh, of the states. Um, I of heard course. just right. the, the border towns in Texas, many of them are more dangerous and anti-immigrant as far as For Central sure. American. You know, which you, it's funny. You don't hear too much of Hispanic countries being discriminatory against each other. But, uh, you know, there there is um, there is an idea. There is a, a, a prevalent... Um, you know, thought that, you know, amongst Central America, Central Americans themselves and between Central American and Mexico, there's, there's a this, free flow yeah, there's, and there's not. Well, there's huh? these strong antagonistic feelings toward one sure. another, you know, and it's it's I guess ironic to see that some of the feelings you hear echoed by, let's say, Mexican Mexican nationals against Central American immigrants is very similar to what you to hear some us say about yeah. Mexicans coming in. Exactly. It is exactly. not a free flow. The idea that, yeah. you know, someone can come from El Salvador to Mexico and yeah. Mexico's like, oh yeah, come on well, in. Yeah. That's not the case. Yeah. They also have some walls in some areas exactly. in Mexico. And so being aware of that is, is also important. Exactly. This is a, and it's a global, mm-hmm. right now we're just focusing on this because if not, we could be here for 300 hours but Mm -hmm. this is a global issue and since the beginning of time people have migrated to find greener pastures that's just that's just the way humanity is under whatever whatever the situation is so Mm -hmm. said caravan that was a rumor i don't know about how it's kind of cool that they said carlos slim paid for it i don't know what he would have to gain by doing something like that but maybe but you know, <laughs> more customers or clients i don't know yeah i, know, I don't think he needs any more yeah, but you know, so so anyway so yes there i know that the texas border was prepped yeah was prepped right and and that was kind of clever mm-hmm. you know for them to just say mm-hmm. just kidding we're 
changing our direction. So in California, they might have not expected it. And now they're scurrying, trying to figure out how they're going to. So tell me, why do they believe they will receive asylum? Who told them? Who told these group of people? Like, first of all, please explain what the severity is of their situation that has compelled them to uproot their babies and walk and do this or, or, you know, for this long haul, what compelled them to do this? What was so, what is so, what do, what are a lot of people not understanding that's happening over there while we sit here in Mm Shangri-La and why you have a child, I have children. Why, why would you do that? What is so bad? And where did the idea come from? And, um, will there be um, a remedy for them? Will they be turned away? What What do you see happening? Yeah, no, those are excellent questions. And, <laughs> You're like, you know, there's there's not just one answer to those. Um, and but but uh, to preface that, immigration, and as we just spoke, it's not a new phenomenon. Right. Um, immigration into the U.S from you know the south of mexico central america south america is not a new phenomenon you right know? um and so depending on on the circumstances of the individual countries depending on the circumstances of our country it, it could be you know speculated that you know there's different push pull factors sure. uh you know there's factors that are pushing the central americans uh you know, foreign nationals out of their country, mainly poverty, civil unrest, gangs, uh, is gangs, that true? you know, okay. violence. Um, specifically, El Salvador and Honduras have, you know, their some of their large cities have been rated the most violent in terms of homicide rates in the world. I mean, I mean we're talking about Baghdad, you know, Juarez. I mean, these kind, of, these you know, San Salvador and Teu and uh, San Pedro Sula of Honduras has consistently been ranked within the top 10 dangerous cities because of uh you know criminal violence gangs um other types of 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 corruption going on and so uh you know those factors push their they push their people uh, to find as you said greener pastures safer pastures to raise their children and families and then you know the the pull factors have been the U.S. has has this connotation of being, you know, the the city on a hill. You know, there's the streets paved with gold. But you know, why? Like we have terrible leadership. Who's telling them that it's going to well, be an easy way in? Right. I mean, I think everything is. You know, Sorry. It's compared. You know, it, a, that was it, a terrible true. opinion. But well, I mean, it, our leadership is not open. It does not have enough. It's true that we you know we don't have a perfect country, but in terms of when you compare it to you know third world countries, you yeah, know, those closest developing, to, to yeah, our, yeah, yeah, developing countries you know it seemed like oh well that is not you know you can still uh you're still safe yeah you know, you it's can not still that raise bad a family sure. so it's not that bad so truly you know maybe our politics aren't where we want it to be um you know everyone has pro- no no country is perfect but in terms of you know safety and and where you can ra- you can live without fear the u.s i think is still ranked i mean i would say as you know right pretty high up there uh you can you know the, the capitalism the form of you know government economics and just the free flow of ideas and trade uh is is very appealing to these countries coming where you right know, communism where you you're restricted and what you can what you buy eat which buy yeah, exactly. what you exactly so those factors uh are pulling are kind of uh, enticing immigrants and i guess it's in. all relative because for example they are mm-hmm. not here yet they're mm-hmm. coming and they mm-hmm. have this idea 
right? And they might they might see that you know our immigration policies have become really a lot stricter. Yeah. But for them, if they get here and find some semblance of okayness for a little while, yeah. and they get turned back, it's not as terrible, yeah. I guess, as if you've been here. 20 years and then you've got to go back it basically it's the grass is always greener on the other side i mean that is in essence right <laughs> what uh, what the idea is that you know that everything is better uh here uh you know you in in, in a way you know I, i've had some clients and i've talked to you about some of my clients but you know i some some of these uh um central americans i represent i mean they they make you know two dollars a day working out in the fields i mean that that's what they make a day. Right. Um, if, you know, if they're lucky and we're talking about 10 hours in the hot sun, um, from dust, uh, no, from till dawn till dusk. Yeah. And, and here they see like, wow, I can make, you know, 10 times that in one day. Can you imagine like in there? In, right. What can I do with, you know, 20 bucks even if I make that a day? Can you imagine? And, and so, you know, they hear that, you know, they, some, maybe some friends or family members have been able to, to immigrate, you know, legally or otherwise, and they send back, you know, hundreds of dollars. So, like- so they're like, well, what's going on? You know, is it, is it just that great? And, and so after a while, you know, those are the push-pull factors in essence. Uh, there may be more, but those are the most common ones and, and as I, that, we, that we hear. And as I've said, you know, this is not a new phenomenon. And, and even as early as... Uh, 2014, the year 2014, we saw huge, you know, uh, exponential increases in even unaccompanied minors, uh, yeah. children under the age of 18 coming alone um, in in little mini caravans or, or groups, come, you know, and and then, you know, that begs the question, uh, you know, as, as, as you've asked, what would compel a family, parents, a mother, you know, a father to allow their children to come unaccompanied alone, you know, through this, through different countries, um, you know, seeking in most cases asylum uh, from the U S government. And, uh, and so those are different factors. You know, at one time we did have a more favorable, you know, administration as far as immigration or so could be said, um, now not so much. So we have seen in certain areas, lower, um, levels Numbers of, of immigration in some areas, but yeah, the caravan is, uh, yeah, and are they going to make it? That's well, my question. I mean, they're here, like you said, they're here, and when it comes to the law on the books in regards to asylum, and I think that's what we've been yeah. uh, before the podcast. What, what we're, I mean, it, it is, it's not illegal to ask for it asylum to come into the country to present yourself at the border and to ask for asylum you know it's you get your day in court so to speak um and even you know it's it's codified in the u.s immigration nationality act what's called the ina and that specifically outlines the right to ask for asylum in the u.s um i'll just read from the code here it states any alien who is physically present in the united states or who arrives in the United States, whether or not at a designated port of arrival, and including an alien who is brought to the United States after having been um, interdicted in international or United States waters, irrespective of such alien status, may apply for asylum in accordance with this section, uh, or applicable section 1225B of this title. So basically... There you go. Yeah, it says you can ask for asylum. There's there's nothing illegal uh unlawful to to present yourself 
Is this a federal judge that decides? Right, yes. It is a, a federally appointed judge, um, immigration judge. Uh, judge is kind of a loose term, really. It's, they're not federal Article Three judges, so to speak, but they have been appointed by the um, Attorney General uh, in that regard to, to officiate uh, these more civil administrative proceedings. Uh, and that makes that makes it difficult because when it comes to asylum, when it comes to proving a case of persecution, of harm, of violence, mental, psychological, physical, you're asking a judge who many times, you know, many of our judges don't even have, some do, but many that are appointed do not have an extensive background or experience as immigration litigators. Uh, they come from different backgrounds. Um, then the real estate lawyer that's <laughs> doing immigration. Yeah, exactly. Now. No, that's. I mean, yeah, we we laugh at it. Oh, but, you know, I've had some judges that you know their background is in you know IRS, just different, you know, different functions within the state, and so you know they're asked to be experts to determine whether someone is under credible, dur- yeah. under duress, um, suffering from from trauma, uh, and whether they have in fact been persecuted. So it's it's a very it's. It's very difficult to do it, and it's not, you know, many many of these individuals that have been persecuted in countries don't necessarily have the time to build their case at home before they leave. So, you know, if you're being persecuted by, you know, one of the the most violent gangs in the world, you don't go and ask the gang member. Hey, Sir, could me, you fill this out, please, and also notarize it? Statement, uh, and, and notarize it, saying that, that you're you just hung 50 me. people yes, like, down exactly. the street. Exactly, you know, it's, it's a word of mouth. How does someone do that? Do you, like, I know this sounds really stupid but do you take pictures of- well with difficulty with extreme difficulty uh many i would say what i i usually have my clients go and um get an assessment evaluation by a psychologist psychiatrist counselor and almost always there's some form of ptsd trauma depression for sure that they're suffering and you know we do that just to to kind of bolster their credibility that you know this is a person who They'll be called to testify, uh, without a doubt, in their case. They'll be asked to speak about um, things that they have experienced in, you know, in their own bodies, things that they have seen their family experience. Uh, you know, you know, I mean, I'm talking about horrific Protest. things like you know, rape, uh, murder, um, extortion, just terrible things, and they have to speak of it uh, intelligibly. Uh, they have to. Um, uh, show uh, give proof and evidence uh, to back up their story you know and, and it's extremely difficult uh, you know some of these police reports we have to try to go back to you know and, and ask individuals in their home country can you go secure a police report can you sec- help us secure evidence so we're you know we're communicating with developing countries and it, it's it is extremely difficult to obtain some of this evidence and it rests many times almost exclusively on the testimony of that person who, you know, may have limited education, um, limited verbal skills. They have to, we have to interpret it from one language to another, and they have to somehow make sense of their case of persecution uh, enough to satisfy an immigration judge who also is not necessarily an expert in that country, uh, that they're, you know, in the respondent's country. And most of the time doesn't, (laughs) <laughs> doesn't care too much to be honest. I know there's some judges Gosh. out there that that are really great uh, and compassionate, but um, you know we 
And the that, bar is high. Yeah, I the guess. bar is high after you hear so many cases. We just spoke about this. Yeah, uh, you become right? completely desensitized. Yeah, it's. I mean, how could you not? How can a human being after you know? It's like one case after the other. Um, oh, right. Yeah, I heard that seventy-two so, times an yeah, hour ago. It, it be. Yeah. It just. It increases, um, our hurdle. You know, our 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 challenge. Um, our burden of proof. Uh, just you know, as that judge. Uh, it continues to hear all these cases. So, I mean, but, you know, it still having an attorney uh, it increases, Always. you know, by a, a huge percentage. Um, do how, these caravanners know that they had to come secure an attorney? Did they, do you think they believe they were just going to step in? Or do they get assigned one? Yeah, unfortunately not. Uh, if you're, they don't have the right to have an attorney assigned, although they do have the right to go and... and hire one? Hire one. But uh, they likely don't have right. the funds. So there's a, I mean, there's a lot of great um, non-profit and other NGOs that um, that are helping in, in this regard. I mean, I've worked with some, uh, you know, Justice for Our Neighbors and, and right. other American Gateways and other, uh, and other agencies along the border that um, that are sending you know uh, attorneys to help with that humanitarian and, and asylum cases uh, but yeah it is it's difficult uh, many don't they don't aren't able to um, obtain an attorney and have to go pro se so without an attorney and prove up their case making it very very difficult for them to do so um, but yeah. I, another another dumb question and then we'll close out do you think that the sitting judges in California, these immigration panelists mm-hmm. or judges or whatever they're called, mm-hmm. um, because California is a blue state as opposed to a red state, do you think that they might have more um, compassion, leniency, or, or and do, do you believe that that was a good move ultimately? Because if they had come in through Texas, they would have just been shot back. Also... Does the media coverage, is that going, how severely does it affect um, the results of this? And does it affect it adversely or positively? Well, yeah. Sorry, I keep going. <laughs> Those Just compound questions. questions. Yeah. No, so your first question of, you know, the judges, the general, you know, legal environment atmosphere in california versus texas i think generally you know it's known that california is more liberal sure than than texas would be for example in, in many in many situations and this is a situation where that would be true the ninth circuit uh, you know state of california has generally been viewed as more liberal more accepting of um immigrants than for example texas or the Fifth Circuit, uh, we have, I guess, a tougher jurisdiction. So that, in, in a way, that that's true. It was um, a good move, maybe. It, it was, yeah. It wasn't a bad move uh, if it was made for for that reason. Uh, you know, we we've got a tougher circuit, the Fifth Circuit, uh, than the Ninth Circuit. I mean, okay. I think even President Trump has experienced that <laughs> with the Ninth Circuit. Yeah, okay. Um. So so yeah, I think in that regard, it uh, you know, it may help out. You know, if they get assigned judges in um, in California. Um, the media now. Do you the think? media, yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, I here's the thing: like the media, I <laughs> depending on what outlet you tune into, yeah, the, it, you know that'll determine the spin you get on the news. Let's assume that the judges listen to NPR. Yeah, 
I mean, and NPR they has like, a specific spin on it as well. Yeah, right? they mean, do. So You're right. I'm trying to find the most not, there's non... There's no, yeah. I mean, the AP, I don't know, you know. Like yeah, I, I don't know. AP, let's say. Let's, I I, you know, I think, and, it, and here's the thing, like, I find, just this is just not anything to do with immigration. Or legal. I just find that people will listen or tune in... To what to they want to hear. what they want to You're hear. Right. So depending on the judge, you know, the I find it's rare that a judge is has no, or not, not even a judge, just an individual for that matter is completely unbiased and objective no and kidding independent, right so judges are no exception i think you know you there's judges that will lean a little left or lean a little right and but you just hope they're they stay a little moderate that's or where just, my idea know. of federalism like is that's where i'm like no they have the most power yeah i mean the this could be a whole other podcast you know, yeah. like, um or judicial people, i think the judicial has the most power well, i mean I why mean, do you even become a, an immigration judge right i think you have to you know, there's different motivations, I think, but there are some good um, immigration judges, just like there are some good civil and appeals and criminal judges out there um, that are that strive to be impartial, strive to listen to the evidence and make um, an adjudication based on the law. Um, and so, you know, I, I can't throw all the judges under the bus. I mean, no, there's no. some good ones, There's, but, you know, there's also ones that you know. Well, I do I think that this, the media, you know, like, yeah was like oh my gosh they're coming they're coming you know and i i think it created a hype that maybe was not they were not going to arrive as soon as you know and the whole sending troops out Mm -hmm. so many that i i think it it could have adverse it could have hurt or help them depending yeah. but you're right yeah, i think you're right i mean i think it you know the the media depending on again what news outlet you tune into you know some will make the caravan uh to be you know these these people that are coming like you said to to kill steal and destroy just right. to like you know just as criminals and take all of yeah. our, you know businesses over and steal our jobs etc and there's some you know there's another news media outlet out there that may say you know it's our uh, you know it not our job but it's it's our responsibility to take care of immigrants and refugees and provide humanitarian, humanitarian care yeah. where where we need to right as a country as you know our identity is so tied into immigrants you know sure. our cultural identity so we should do what we can to help and provide aid and and subsistence and assistance etc so yeah i mean it, it depends there's there's a fine. It's funny. There's a fine line, but there's also this huge gray area, which seems like I don't know. It makes sense. <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah. So each each person will um, make a decision on what they feel about this issue according to I guess their own morals. And we'll just yeah. You're absolutely right. We'll see. And I think the more I guess um, the more we listen mm-hmm. and learn and meet people who have been through this type of strife or hear stories about them, the level of empathy mm-hmm. might grow a little more, hopefully, mm-hmm. that uh, we start to understand why some people yet realize that, you know, physical barriers are necessary, but mm-hmm. humanitarianism is of utmost right. importance and most value right. in coexisting right. with human beings. You know, it's funny being an immigration attorney or just being an attorney, and I've done other things besides immigration. I did some municipal you know, prosecuting for a time. And, you know, so basically everyone that had speeding tickets, CWIs, you know, whatever. And I never, I know, maybe, I've heard of, of maybe individuals going and saying, you know, I'm guilty as charged by the police officer and I want the full penalty of the law imposed upon me. I never heard that. 
never did any as a prosecutor anyone ever come to me and say that they usually said you know I'm sorry or make excuses or have compassion or or have empathy you know this is why I did this and that you know it's not my fault or again I, I'm please have mercy right and it, and then when I turned into immigration I hear now you know they're individuals say oh they're they're here illegally then they need you know it's funny how the same individual could have asked for mercy and compassion when they do so when they violate the traffic law or their spouse or their child oh yeah they you know it's dwi time oh come on give me a break but no 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 mercy for this but when somebody's here illegally and they don't have any any kind of empathy nothing in their family ties to that individual they they want the full penalty of the law yeah right isn't that interesting 100 years Yeah, yeah deport them they're criminals they're here illegally um and they've broken the law, so they should they should obey the laws of the land, right? So the same individual that asked for mercy, mercy when they broke when the, they law, broke the here. law now once so I I think I, I find that interesting, and um, I think we all need to examine you know ourselves. I I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I just think that they feel that they're a step above or a level level above, and and again, if if you you know read the the little story that I wrote mm-hmm. um, about the um, the investment. The only difference is where you were born. It's just one river. You either were lucky to, to, to be born on this side or that side. That's the only difference. And that's the thing that gives some people that even are Border Patrol or that are very um, heavy with a badge or what have you. And I'm not saying they all are because I know some wonderful people um, that, mm-hmm. that aren't. But my, my point is this. It's just... Um, just because they are born here, they automatically have an advantage and they will make every opportunity to remind mm-hmm. that individual that that just was born in the wrong yeah, spot, yeah. you know, um, to remind them that they're above them, that they're better mm-hmm. than them, that they are allowed more leniency because this is their country. Mm-hmm. This is not your country. You weren't even here. Mm-hmm. You cannot come into my country and break laws. Mm-hmm. I can break laws in my own country <laughs> and get forgiveness and yeah. get mercy because mm-hmm. this is my country. Mm-hmm. I pay taxes into it. Mm-hmm. And that's the, um, I'm going to say, ask backward thought process mm-hmm. that, that goes through. And there's a lot to learn and grow from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably a lot of people will be very upset with what I have to say. But <laughs> well, I think, I, you know, you can really judge, care. but it, I think you need to be careful with what measure you use to judge, uh, you know, um, because, again, like I said, um, no one's perfect. Um, and I've seen cases where someone will come in and, uh, and I've heard them speak out about immigration and then I'll know, guess what, you're... Your daughter is married to someone. I know their legal status, and just wait till they finally. Oh my goodness! I can't believe that yeah. my daughter will basically lose her husband. And it's it's so sh- it's just to see that transformation. You know, they have to swallow their words. It's a very you know? learning and humbling, <laughs> yeah, it's humbling situation because you know the, these. You know, it's easy to. It's easy when they're strangers, when they're of course foreigners. you can point the finger for. But when away. it's your neighbor, when it's you know your, your daughter, your son-in-law, when it's you know someone at your church, when it's your coworker, and you realize, oh, this is their situation. This is a lot closer to home. It's and a this lot sucks. closer to home. Yeah. And this is how they're treated. So, wow, I didn't know this. Yeah, so I think a certain level of empathy and compassion when dealing with immigration uh, would be wise because we yeah. don't, you know. <laughs> I think all ourselves. around, right? Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. just in, in life, but yeah. so. Anyway, this has been good, extremely informative. But before we sign off, could you please 
Tell us where you're located. Give us your number if you have a website. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to post it on my Facebook and on my podcast site. It'll then be shared onto the Apple one. And then if you want, I'll send you the link. You can share it on yours or I can tag you. Because sure. um, I think this is great information. Yeah. I think we have a lot of friends who are attorneys and may also need. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So this is the Castro Law Firm. We're in San Antonio, specifically 12451 Starcrest Drive, Suite 204 in San Antonio, Texas, 78216. Our phone number, our main line is 210-202-1986. Again, that's 210-202-1986. Uh, you can reach me at, uh, oh, also via email, attorney, uh, sorry, uh, Juan at attorneycastro.com, J-U-A-N at attorneycastro, spelled out A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y-C-A-S-T-R-O dot our website is also attorneycastro.com or abogadocastro.com. Oh, y lo super importante es que hablamos, habla español. Sí, hablamos español. Claro que sí. ¿Y de dónde eres? Recuérdeme. Bueno, yo soy de, de Nuevo Orleans, inicial, pero mi familia es Honduras. Son catrachos. Wow. <laughs> Bueno, pues ahí ya salió la sopa. Ahora, ya son, sabemos ahora qué. somos tejanos. Ahora somos, <laughs> we're from Texas now. <laughs> awesome. Juan, thank you so much. Uh, awesome. This has been great. Yeah. And um, hopefully we'll be able to help some more people understand what's going on here. Absolutely. Anytime. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> okay. Take care. <laughs>